if you want to be a successful quote unquote artist, you have to apply to just a ton of things. Like you, you will accumulate stacks of rejection letters <laughs> and like, and somehow you have to like maintain some semblance of an ego <laughs> that, like, that tells you that you should carry on with whatever crazy idea you're working on. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, we're talking to Kelly Inouye. Kelly is a watercolor artist, and she also runs the gallery storefront space called Irving Street Projects here in San Francisco. Kelly did not study art in college, she studied literature. She actually had an entire career working as a product designer and creating shoes and working in that industry. And she had a few pivotal breaks in her career that really got her through to the art side. She jokes about always fighting against being an artist, but she really was trying and pushing on the side and in her free time to move her artwork forward and also connect with the community, both when she was in New York and then when she came back to the West Coast where she's from and started to develop her craft here in the Bay Area. Kelly has fantastic advice for somebody who's trying to break through and her story is just really compelling and really fun to listen to. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So let's get started. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So let's kick off and talk about Irving Street Project. Okay. It's the storefront and art gallery that you've created and that you run. And I want to hear a little bit about what the project is, how it works, and how you work within that space, too. Yeah. Um, so Irving Street Projects is uh, an alternative art space that I run out of my studio in the Outer Sunset on Irving Street near 45th Avenue. Um, it's a residency program and exhibition space, and I basically grant use of the space for the development of kind of longer term projects. Um, I usually, Meaning artists, they apply and then they, they get in to use the space yeah, it's um, there's not really an application process. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of my curatorial endeavor. Um, I've been focused on supporting women artists for the past three years, um, and I kind of I, it's it's very intuitive the curatorial process. And um, I started off initially asking people who I'd met through my writing at SFAQ. Um, artists I admired, work I admired, um, to come work at Irving Street and develop a project that maybe they didn't have a platform for yet, that was maybe a little bit different than the established studio work that they'd been doing. Yeah. Um, And so I just, yeah, it it was 2014 when I found the space, and it just seemed like a very dark time in San Francisco for the arts. Um, a lot of people leaving people, the city, yeah, costs going up. Costs going up. People, artists are, are leaving and have been leaving San Francisco in droves for years. Galleries have been closing, and, and were, there were a, there was a spate of gallery closings at that time. And like you know, institutions like the Berkeley Art Museum or SF MoMA were closed, and it just felt like 
oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And so that that kind of environment spurred you to say, let me create even just some small yeah. space yeah, to yeah. contribute. Yeah, at that particular time, I got lucky finding the space for yeah. below market rent. And How did that happen? I, You know, I was looking for months and months on Craigslist and um, because uh, my daughter was starting school. And I wanted to finally, after now that she'd be going into kindergarten, have a studio outside of my home. <laughs> and, um, and I found the space and after a long period of looking and I'd kind of given up and I just like, I don't know, I hadn't looked for weeks. And then I pulled up this, the, this, the Craigslist site one more time to kind of like hail Mary, give right. it another try. <laughs> And this listing had been there for two weeks. And I thought, oh, I'm sure it's taken. There's no way the space is still available. Yeah. But it wasn't. Wow. <laughs> and I went out to see it. And um, it's it's a small storefront. It's uh, The building was built in the 1970s. And it has these huge plate glass windows that provide like extreme visibility into the storefront at all times. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a beautiful place to kind of walk past and be lured in yes. to see the art and have a display that's both, you know, street facing and yes. something you can experience inside. Yeah, exactly. And your studio space is actually in in the in the space there. It is. There's a there's a a, a couple of walls that separate the front storefront area from the back studio space and I work in the back and I award the storefront as the artist residency. Yeah. And so you run this gallery curated space and you're also an artist. Mm -hmm. How long have you been working with watercolor? I've been painting in watercolor for close to 20 years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm dating myself. So but. you've, yeah. So you've really, you've really, uh, grown to learn the medium and, and love it. What, what I do you really, yeah, I'm, I am still super fired up on watercolor yeah, <laughs> after what, what all you, these years. What do you love about working with it? Um, I, it, it actually, it's, you know, it has the reputation of being kind of a hobbyist's not uh, like a not serious painting medium. People think about oils or acrylics and right. It's yeah. the more serious painting mediums. But, um, the thing with watercolor is like, you can't make a mistake so, like, because you can literally it's, like it's very tricky. You can erase see it's it transparent. You can't erase. You can't. Like, right. Oh, right. Right. You have to make that painting. Right. Oh, right. Like, right. You cannot make a mistake. It's, so, it's all there. You can't fix it. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've just always found that challenge to be very compelling and, um, and I, yeah, I work in a series of drafts. If something's not right, I have to start over I recycle the painting and start over. And, um, especially with, in the manner in which I work, I, I, I pretty much it's, I, I paint in one sitting, maybe two sittings. Um, what are those drafts like? What, what are the, what are the phases of those drafts? They're, well, they're pretty much, um, you know, because I'm painting television characters from the seventies and eighties there's, and, and it's watercolor and like it's figurative sort of, and there are, you know, if I don't get the proportions or the shadows or the details, right, it looks wrong. There's a very specific right and wrong to each painting in my mind. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> um, I, it's, it's actually very, 
I don't know, it, it clears my mind. I have to sit and focus on this thing in front of me or else I will ruin it. <laughs> and are there sometimes and then, like everything else disappears. And yeah. I can just focus on that. How, I really how, love that process. How quickly do you get into that flow zone? Like, do you have, do you go through a couple of like, up, oh, screw that up, screw that up. Yeah. And then you get it kind of a, a yeah, home run. It depends on the painting. Um, when it's, if, if there are multiple figures, those paintings take longer because each figure kind of requires the same process. Um, but and if it's a single figure, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really going for a feeling and an emotion in each painting. And the, like if, you know, the corner of the mouth is wrong or the eye is too squinty or like the, like, you know, the color runs into itself. If the, if it's, it's all very like dif- difficult. I mean, it's just like some pigments sink and some float and some mix and some yeah. repel. And then the, the paper, the topography, the paper is always changing because it's like, bubbling up or wrinkling and you're just kind of like I don't know dealing with this this um this surface that's constantly changing until it's dry right it's like that's it (laughs) and when you when you uh mess up you said you reuse so do you like where does that painting go and then does it get like turned over like how how does that work well sometimes because I do use a lot of white space and and uh negative space in my paintings um I'll make smaller sheets out of them I'll like cut the figures out and re-tear the paper and use it for other things or um and then I I have a whole like kind of recycling process that I'm starting in my studio (laughs) where like I'm hopeful that I can pulp these these um the larger scale work because I just last year I had a show where I made some really large scale work and there were a lot of drafts involved and I'd really like to pulp that um that paper and turn it back into new work that's very cool. So. Actually, become a, a a paper maker. Yeah. Using yeah, the pulp. or find someone to help me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the podcast can maybe help with that. Any paper makers out there? Yeah. Yeah. Help. Please, please come to Kelly. <laughs> so you talked about the these sitcom characters that you paint, and you have a deep affection for seventies, eighties uh, TV shows and all of that. How did this series come about? And is that the majority of your work is really focused on these? characters and figures from television yeah um it's it is the focus of my work um i've branched out uh, to movies a little bit and i'll probably be doing more of that in the future um but i i really it all came out of this like strange nostalgia i felt for these television shows i watched as a kid hey everyone i want to tell you about our partner bond It's a new creative conference here in San Francisco coming up on March 9th and March 10th, and it's all about how you can make a living out of your creative practice, out of your projects, out of your business online. And it's brought to you by the company BackerKit, which helps you organize and schedule and ship and do all the logistics for your Kickstarter campaigns. Bond is going to be an amazing conference. I'm so excited to be a part of it. I'll be speaking there about marketing, and you're going to hear from people who have built huge online communities that have helped their creative visions thrive online and actually built businesses around what they do. You're going to hear from people from Patreon, from Kickstarter, and really amazing speakers who are going to give you the tools and the inspiration you need to build your creative businesses online. Jesse Janae is going to be there, who I interviewed for the show a few episodes ago and so many others. 
So check out bond.backerkit.com. You can get all the information about the conference, learn more, and definitely join in, grab a ticket, and join us. And be sure to follow Making Ways on Twitter at making underscore ways. We're going to be tweeting out a special offer code for 10% off for listeners so that you guys can get in the door at a reduced rate as well. Thanks so much to our partner, Bond, and let's get back to the show. Let's talk about the your career, basically, before this time. So you were a product designer, and mm-hmm. you worked on all sorts of products, like kids' shoes and, yeah. and things like that. Talk to me about those years and that and that part of your career. Sure, I am. So I after after college, I went to college at UC San Diego, and then I um, I wasn't an art major. <laughs> and, and I you studied I, literature. I did. I studied literature. Okay, um, but I took a lot of art classes and I, my time at UCSD was really influenced by two professors that one ran the the art department. Her name was Eleanor Anton and she's just a legendary conceptual and performance artist and um, who's like very eccentrically paved her own way. And, um, and that really stayed with me. And then the other is Ernie Silva, who was a painting professor who told me right as I was about to graduate with a lit degree, when I went to him and said, I, but I really want to be an artist and I really want to go to grad school. And he was like, just keep painting and make a portfolio. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, um, and so I moved home to my parents' house and I worked two jobs to save up money for a year. And I moved to New York and I did the summer residency program at the School of Visual Arts. And, um, and then after that, I was going to come right home after that. But I um, really loved New York and I had a friend living there and um, who'd I'd, who I'd known since I was four. <laughs> and it was really fun to just like have an instant community in New York. And, uh, and so I just started looking for a job and I kind of fell into the role of design assistant at this footwear company um, because I could draw the designer's ideas. And, uh, and so that became a, a job that, you know, took all of my time. Right. So you kind yeah, you kind of, um, it's great because you found a career position where you were being creative and you were drawing, Yeah. but it was kind of an opportunity that, that kind of sucked you down a path pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, it did. Um, and I, so I didn't have as much time as I had wanted to paint, but I kept doing it. I just like wherever I could, you know, evenings, weekends, you know, I would just kind of, I just always felt this need, like I, I would feel off. And then I would have to set aside a day or two days to just paint. And then I would feel better again. <laughs> yeah, I have that too. Cause yeah. I have a mix of, you know, this marketing and creative work that I do. And then I have the illustration. And if I go long stretches, it feels like I'm not using something inside yeah. that has to be used. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so over the course of years, I kept doing that. And like working full time, I had to travel a lot for my job and and just like finding time when I absolutely needed to to paint. And um, so and and I would apply to things like there's so much opportunity in New York for for emerging artists. Yeah. Um, and would you go through long stretches where you weren't being creative and then just be like, I have to do this? Or were you pretty steady about, no, I'm every weekend or once, you know, a night, a week, I'm I'm doing this. And it kind of was a, a steady, you know, drip. I, I would say I went through phases where I was just like 
too exhausted to to do anything i mean new york is it's a tough place to live and um and yeah. so like it's an energy drain but when i i had enough energy to really and time to to commit to to making work um because it does require all that focus i was making the watercolors um in the same style i'm painting and now back then yeah and you um, talked about traveling a lot did you kind of go up the ranks corporately in did. in this world. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I um I ended up uh running a small division of a footwear company and jumped around to a few different um labels within that company and at another company and and um visited customers all over big box stores um all over the United States. I traveled to Asia, um Taiwan, China, Korea to make shoes. Um and uh, did a lot of research shopping too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you probably had a whole closet that was just reference uh, material. I don't personally, <laughs> but part of my job was actually to to um, report on retail trends for the entire company. Wow. So um, yeah, I had a different a, a different kind of um, take on shopping. And yeah. Like really look at, you know, the assortment and percentages of different types of styles. <laughs> you know, like, like, because I would always have to write these reports after I right, these right. trips and present them. And when you um, think about that time, does that still feel like, yeah, that's very Kelly, that that's a part of me and that's absolutely always going to be there. Or does it feel like an earlier life it, or it version definitely feels like an earlier version of my life and um but I, I like i don't know i have very fond memories of that time and um what was some it was, of the best it was a means to an end it was right. like I, I i was always very honest and upfront about like wanting to pursue art and you know it and and corporately like i think part of the reason i was successful in that industry is because i would take the jobs that other designers didn't really want like most product designers or people who aspire to be footwear designers want to design women's shoes or athletic shoes or technical shoes. And I was like, give me the fuzzy duck slippers. I'm totally <laughs> fine with that. <laughs> like, Sounds fun to me. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I'm happy to work with kids shoes. I'm, you know, I like that's my, my creative outlet is different than this job. And so I didn't feel as passionate about like what assignments I wanted. And I was happy to take things that maybe weren't as sought after. Yeah. Did you work on like the light up and roller skating and all that? (laughs) I really wish that I had that as I was, when I was a kid, you know, you you hit a button or something and the wheels go out and you jet down the street. Or light they up. just flash every time you take a step. So yeah, cool. They're really fun. I think that's awesome. <laughs> and then I imagine that they turn into like Goonies shoes and you can like oil slick at the back <laughs> if you're getting chased by crooks. And But I don't know if you got to take it. Probably didn't get to take it that far. <laughs> and so at what point did you reach this wall or turning point where you said, okay, I've always wanted to go in this artistic direction Though, as you said earlier, there's been kind of things internally, externally that's been kind of preventing you from doing that. At what point did you say, I'm ready to leave this corporate game and really try to go go out there and and fly? You know, it was um, it was a combination of things. Uh, I I had 
I was living in New York and I, you know, like I said, I was making work and applying to things. I had accumulated quite a stack of rejection letters <laughs> from galleries from, from, but I'd also, yeah, from, from like all sorts of opportunities, residency programs, exhibition opportunities, all sorts of things. But, um, so you kept trying, you kept yeah, trying, I kept yeah, trying yeah. and I did get some things. I got, um, one of the things that sustained me throughout those years that I'm so thankful for were programs um, in New York that are run by organizations like the Drawing Center and White Columns. And um, the Drawing Center has a viewing program, which was basically an artist registry. You have to apply and be accepted. But once you're accepted, you can go have studio visits on an annual basis or twice a year. I can't remember what it was with a really accomplished curator that runs the program. And so I would take my portfolio in and meet, I think I met with Luis Kamnitzer a couple times and Nina Kachadorian. Like these are like incredibly accomplished people that yeah. would take the time to sit with you for 40 minutes or whatever and go through your work and your process. And, you know, that it's such a great gift to be able to do that yeah. when, you're, when you just are trying to like piece together time to, right. to have continuity in your work yeah and in a way you were kind of finding your own version of continuing your education yeah and exactly. getting mentorship and feedback so you could keep advancing yes the work yes and um and so that was that was amazing and and um and they would suggest you know potential places to to show the work or for people to talk to and um and and at a certain point I, so I was applying to things and I was also just like burnt out on my job and like, couldn't really, I'd, I'd met my future husband and we were talking a lot about our five-year plan and like, yeah. well, how, how's that going to work if you're, you know, traveling for weeks at a time, three right. or four times a year? Right. Like I can't, I don't, I don't know. And how and long um, were you in the job at, at that point? I think I was in like seven or eight years. Okay. And, um, and and then I had, I was, oh, I got a, an exhibition opportunity. It was offered a show in a gallery upstate, um, Joyce Goldstein Gallery in Chatham, New York. Cool. And I was awarded a grant and a project space from the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council within a couple weeks of each other. Okay. So and something so, happened. Yeah. And was so those two opportunities, you know, I was like, oh, this is something like, I don't think I could take advantage of this if I am working full time and have been I'm off to wherever it is I need to go for work. <laughs> right. Like I'm not going to be able to do this. I have to make a choice. Yeah. And so I, I chose to quit my job. So what has been the hardest and most surprising part of being an artist full time and being a gallery and, and curator full time now that you're, you know, you're well into this version of yourself? Um, I think it's still the balance of time. Um, and for me, uh, being able to focus, like split my time equally, it's, 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 it is a challenge to not put all of my energy into running the space. Um, I have to be very careful about delineating time for my own studio work, time for Irving Street projects, and time for my family. Um, and and the managing that is can be complicated. But um, yeah, and, and just like I always struggle. Like even I was a lit major. I feel like I'm an okay writer, but I always struggle finding the right words um, to really capture it's it's hard to write about art like if it were easy 
if we could explain things, right, right. we wouldn't paint about them. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Like, that's so, the reason it's art. You, you go look at it, you go experience it. That's, so, that's so well said. So yeah. finding the right language is a constant struggle, I would say. Yeah, and so what have you learned about the balance? Are you still just, is it is it run and gun and figure it out week to week, day to day? Or do you have some systems where you say, okay, these days a week I focus on this or these mornings I do this. Like how does it come together? Um, it's, I, I actually set aside days for certain activities. Um, cause I, for me personally, in my mind, it's hard for me to switch gears. Like, um, if I start out the day with my computer open, working on like a press release or, or computer stuff, I can't then shut my computer and paint. So like I, I use that to organize my time. Like if, if this is a day where I have to finish a painting or like reach a certain point um, for a deadline, like that's what I do. I start out in the morning and if I can finish that, then I'll open my computer. <laughs> but I find like if I open my computer in the morning, that's it. That's, I'm just going to be like sucked into email and things that people need from me that take me away from my my, the task at hand. How long did it take you to figure that out? Probably 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So I'm taking note and all listeners take note. Let's, let's cut to the, uh, cut to the chase here. Don't open your computers, people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what advice do you have for artists who are looking to break into showing or, or getting out there like you did and you put a lot of a lot of work into it who want to kind of get out of their, out of their heads, out of their own spaces and, and kind of break into this world. Yeah. I, um, my advice would be to be actually, my advice would be the advice that I got, you know, there've been so many people, so many moments I can think back on that were so encouraging and kind of like made the, the fear go away. (laughs) Um, and I think one of the things that that I was told was to just be okay. It's not rejection. It's just not a good fit. You know, if you if you're, it doesn't mean you're not qualified necessarily. It's just not a good fit. And if you think about it in those terms, you know, and if you are are strong in the belief that your work is valuable, then you don't want to work with someone who doesn't want to work with you. You know. <laughs> you want there to be a good fit. You want there to be a good collaborative energy. And, um, and that has helped me just kind of weather, cause you just inevitably, like if you want to be a successful quote unquote artist, you have to apply to just a ton of things. Like you, you will accumulate stacks of rejection letters <laughs> and like, and somehow you have to like maintain some semblance of an ego. <laughs> right. Like, that tells you that you should carry on with whatever crazy idea you're working on. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I think this, the, the concept of it not being a good fit is really helpful. And as you came into your own here in the Bay area with your artwork, what galleries and mentors and artists did you feel like really were supportive of you growing your, your presence and your work here? Um, I, I've been really lucky here in the Bay area. Um, I would have to say like going back to the, the theme of like keeping applying for things and submitting work. Um, 
I submitted work to the Southern Exposure used to be to these big group shows that they would hire a, a, a well-known curator, an accomplished curator, and invite um, people to bring their artwork in for review from this curator. And I did I did that several years ago. And um, and thinking, Southern Exposure is an arts organization here in the, yes, in the city. Yeah, it's an amazing arts organization uh, here in San Francisco. And um, so they they have a fantastic exhibition program. Everyone should check out and support Southern Exposure for sure. Um, and I, so I had a piece curated into this huge group show, which I thought, oh yes, I, <laughs> hooray. And then that, just having that piece in the huge group show turned into an exhibition opportunity through wow. Suzanne LaRoe at, she was starting Interface Gallery in Oakland. And Suzanne has an amazing program. Interface Gallery is awesome. Um, she has so smart and such a wonderful eye. And so, um, and the Southern Exposure, that was kind of like your, your big break. That, yeah. Or one, that, one of them or one of the breaks because it got into this big group show, just yes, one piece. Yes. Just one piece in a huge group show. And, you know, it's, it, I think some artists might even say like, oh, that show is not a big deal to be a part of, <laughs> but like it was for me. And, um, and that, you know, connected me with Suzanne who then curated my work into a group show at her gallery. And then. I ended up having two solo shows at her gallery and she's been super supportive and is a wonderful supporter of arts in general. And, um, and so, yeah, just like in terms of advice, for like people trying to break into the art world in San Francisco is like, don't know opportunity is too small. Just like go for it. You know, the benefit shows have, have been, um, really helpful for me as an artist, just a chance to get the work out there and get a read. And then uh, I recently, last year, had a solo show at a gallery called State, um, which is in the Mission on 25th and Alabama. And it's um, it's also kind of an alternative gallery program run by Kimberly Verde and Danielle Smith, who also run uh, Framework, which is a PR organization for arts in the Bay area and, um, and they have a fantastic program and are just phenomenal to work with. Absolutely. Yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been wonderful. Thanks for having meeting me. you. Yeah, absolutely. That was my conversation with Kelly in a way, Kelly, thank you so much for joining the show, for being so open and giving in the conversation and sharing so much great advice too. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. I know I did and learned a ton. If you want to check out Kelly's work, go to kellyinaway.com. And you should also check out Irving Street Projects. And that's at irvingstreetprojects.org. Head on over to makingways.co where you can check out the show notes, the links to Kelly's work to learn more about her organization and also sign up for the Making Ways newsletter where we share news and events and upcoming live recordings and so much more. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.